welcome to the Weather of the Mind podcast. I'm your host, Doug Krish. Good day to you. And how are you today? I am going to start this show with a bunch of questions, a few of which I used a few weeks ago, but these are perpetual questions on this topic of school. A few, two weeks ago, I mentioned these questions and I like to reiterate them today. Where did school best serve you? And where did school most fail you? If you could add one subject to elementary school or secondary high school, what subject would it be and why? What were the best locations for learning outside of school and home? Where do you think you really learned and grew up outside of school and outside of home? How do we make home a nurturing learning environment? I've been writing these questions and getting some responses from listeners. I have been, it's kind of been growing into a larger project like most things do. You, you start off with something small and you kind of feed it a little bit, give it a little bit of water, give it a little bit of compost. I'm always thinking about the metaphor of little plants growing. I think of projects, I think of people. We can visualize a plant growing. Hopefully you've had the experience of raising plants, experiencing plants, listening to them, observing. So when I think about growth, I just like to think of the image of the plant. Another good question to ponder is when do we induce stress? If you're raising a little plant, you want to stress that plant a little bit, but you don't want to stress it on its second day above the soil when it's just a bunch of little cotyledons. So when do you stress? If, we were gonna, if we're pushing our children, when do we have them experience stress? Because they have to. That's how you develop your resistance, your strength. I wanted to highlight a great response I got from one of our readers, Christine, who responded to the question, the best locations for learning outside of school and home. And she said, the school bus. And she said the school bus because this was an area where suddenly there were no supervision. It was like the Wild West. You didn't have parents. You didn't have teachers. There was one adult, a bus driver, who was busy driving a bus. So it was kind of like this intergenerational free-for-all. Well, not intergenerational, literally, but perceptually to the youngster. If you're a first grader on the bus with fifth and sixth graders, it almost seems intergenerational. Certainly a different range of ages to the youngster. Which served to be very intimidating, but also very informative. So I pose the question back to you, Christine, and others. I want to hear what you learned in that space. I know it was a learning space and something unique, but what do you think you learned? And why was it important? And if you didn't have, if someone wasn't taking the bus, how could they have a similar space? What's equivalent to a bus, bus ride experience to those without the bus? Because even if you think about New York City subways, that's a very different experience than taking the bus to school because there are, it's public transportation. You have adults, you have all types of uh, other people, but the school bus is a very unique phenomenon. But I'm trying to argue that even school is a semi-unique phenomenon, especially high school and college, in the sense that it's for you know for everybody. So today I wanted to continue the convert the early conversations of exploring school. Why school? Why high school? Why college? You know, understanding the fundamental, uh, understanding what, trying to look at these institutions functionally. 
What is the resources we're putting in and what are the resources you're getting out? What are the benefits that are emerging? What are the risks? You know, just looking at something like high school and looking at it historically and say, well, where is high school come from and where is high school going? It's hard to look at anything in isolation. Looking things on a temporal scale, seeing how they are changing helps give us orientation and helps us think how this should evolve, how this would best serve community. I was reflecting on the history of high school and I was thinking back to my granny, rest in peace, she would have turned 105 this past week, but she lived to be about 96 or 97. Well, Granny was living down in the city, and born in 1914, and her husband, Richard, born, I think, 1915. And so they were coming up to high school age right around a year or two before the Great Depression, like a 27, 28 he would have been turning 14 or 15. And they, I know they didn't go to high school or they did not complete a four-year high school. They went for a year or two and then went to a finishing school. And this was kind of, this was kind of a privileged opportunity to go to a finishing school. That's a school where you learn a practical trade skill for a year or two. And my granny, she learned STEM as a shorthand for secretarial work. So she went and learned that. But she was becoming more of an independent adult by age 16, which I think is, is good. I think it's developmentally good. It's psychologically good. It's evolutionary. It just makes sense. Once the human being goes through puberty, the human being has a, a greater sense of being physically an adult, psychologically an adult, and should have more and more responsibilities. This over-babying of children through very uh, comfortable situations commonly through their teens and early 20s is not serving people well because life is really hard. So it hits them with uh, like, it hits them too hard. It's like we said about the baby plant, you want to provide stress and challenge and you want to incrementally grow this stress and challenge so that you, when you become an adult, you're like, oh yeah, I got this. Yeah, I know how to deal with this type of stress. I know how to deal with these type of challenge. I know how to feed myself. I know how to recognize anxiety and depression. I have basic human survival skills, but we're not doing this right now. We're still making sure that every high school student passes calculus. Now, I'm one of the people who loves calculus, and I think calculus should exist, but why send everyone through calculus? or pre-calculus. My point is, is we take high school as it stands right now for granted, as if it's this institution on which America has been built for thousands of years, but that's not the case. You look at the numbers. High school graduates, a percentage of 17-year-olds, in 1870, 2% of people who would have been the age of high school had graduated high school. 2%. And that shoots up to not by 1910 to 8.8%. .8%. And 100 years ago, 1920, 17% of high school age 17, 18-year-olds were graduating high school. Not, so 100 years ago, that was 17%. Next, we look to 1930, when my granny would have been going to high school. 29% were graduating high school. 
We finally break over 50% in 1940, where half of high school age students are getting their diplomas. But that kind of levels out in 1960 to, to 70%. From 1960 to 2019, we've never left the 70%. We've, we've been in the mid-70s and then a lot in the low 70s. But that's where we basically remain as a society. So high school is quote-unquote failing those 30%. Maybe it's not failing. Maybe it's liberating them. And they are learning how to quit and say, hey, I could do this better on my own. But... The question is, a lot of these high school graduates, and I've seen them being a former high school teacher, are not being served in a way that's helpful to them. For one, they're not getting a lot of practical skills. And for two, they're being force-fed. Yeah, they're being force-fed this mythology that college is everything. And they're often pushed into college because if they get into college, then everything's going to be fine. But a lot of these students are not emotionally and intellectually ready for college. And again, just like I'm questioning high school, I think we have to question fundamentally what college is, what it was designed to be, what it has become. Because it seems like we're on this runaway train in education in the United States right now. And it's still very valuable for a lot of students. But I think it's not as valuable and it's not serving an equal amount of students. So again, I'm just trying to provide a lot of prompts. I want to deal with this question of schools. What is the point of schools? How do we build, you know, keeping with the theme of this podcast, where does emotional education and practical education fit into our vision of schools? I was talking to the head of the local suicide prevention organization a few weeks ago, and I said to him, what I would do if I were you is have a, a thought experiment with your team where you imagine that you're starting this organization from the start. You're starting over. The thing is, culture changes so rapidly. So the school we would have built and designed in the 1870s or the 1920s or the 1940s or 50s might be very different from the school we design now. I spent some more time this week with Dewey. John Dewey, philosopher, psychologist, public intellectual. One thing I continually like about Dewey is his emphasis on democracy. And a true democracy is not about voting. It's about participation. It's about ownership. And and he says, he makes the point, and I fully support it, is that we cannot separate our educational systems from our culture. They are one and the same. They are fully ingrained. And if we look towards elementary school and, high, and secondary education, these are really the, one of the foundational elements of modern culture. So if we see problems in our culture, we must look back to the foundations. And I would say that Increasingly, the foundations are education. And what's interesting to think about as well is we're seeing the influence of religion institutions dive bomb. And at the same time, we're seeing educational institutions continue to rise, rise, rise. So let's think about the relationship to the, the decrescendo of religion and the, the crescendo of education. And let's think about them on a historical timeline, thinking about where they've been and where they possibly are going. The future of education. 
how can we think about the future of something if we don't know the past? So like I said, I'm, with this questions of school, the ones I repeated at the beginning of the show today, you know, where did school best serve you and whatnot, I'm going to create a, a five to ten minute survey. And I'm gonna, that's going to be part of the new website. The new website, the Weather of the Mind School, is going to try to have uh, more interactive uh, materials and trying to basically... See, the point is this. Like, I don't want to just evaluate school. If, if I really want to truly evaluate school and what's working and not working, I think the best way to do that is try to build a school of your own and just see where it grows and what it can be. Whether it's uh, how, how much it functions as a school per se, I think it will probably be something that supports uh, and provides resources, whether it's podcasts, workshops, books, um, surveys, provide support for um, some of these subjects that are missing in, in mainstream school. A practical education, practical skills, emotional education. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there, but you never know. I, I really see schools as changing, as schools as evolving. I see a period of rising independent teachers filling in the gap, as we're trying to do here. I want to leave you with an image, an image that is nuanced in the best of ways. I was working at my desk last evening, and my room is on the second story and looks down to this busy intersection. And I heard a lady yell, and then I heard a continued yelling at somebody. And I jumped out of my chair and went to the window and saw that a woman was on her feet outside of a car, but like yelling inside the window at this guy. And then I saw two people recording this on their phones. And then I saw the car driver sped away. And I, I figured the situation out as the lady sat down next to a tree. She had gotten hit by this car. Unclear how hard she was still able to stand. But she was clearly adrenalized and the guy sped off. So what's interesting was to see like a group of people surround this lady and provide support. Emotional support, physical support. Within minutes, the ambulance was here and she was taken away. So there was an injustice that was served. This lady was hit by a car. And she responded on her own to the injustice by yelling and letting the person know that they committed an injustice. But the community really was set to rally, both on the street, random passerbys, quick with their cameras, and, and there to just be supportive of her and to call the ambulance and, to, and the ambulance and take her to the hospital. So there's a lot of community support. It's good to focus on elements where society is working well. We often are critiquing and saying society is not working well. But to me, every day I look at society and think it's amazing it's working as well as it's working. And I also frustratingly think about how we could improve this better. But society is very complex and there's a lot of, a lot of people and there's a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of institutions and there's history and there's change and there's chaos. Sometimes it's amazing that it's as calm as it is. And I say that during seemingly very chaotic times of the late 2019 year. Well, please drop us a line on the website, weatherofthemind.org. Leave some feedback, answer some of the questions. You could write some feedback there, or you can leave an audio message. Thanks to those who have given feedback thus far as we continue to evaluate schools, the past and the future of schools, 
And we try to just keep living and learning one week at a time. I wish you the best. Remember, keep practical. Hydration, cooking some decent meals for ourselves, getting a little bit of exercise, even if it's getting chilly out there, getting those walks in. Trying to take some time for some deep breaths, even if we've got three or four minutes standing in line at the grocery store. Three or four minutes of deep breaths can do us wonders. Best to you. Best to you, my listeners. Appreciate you. Bye-bye.